And you never do know. Now sometimes you wonder, well, what? how do we know what to preach? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's from reading, sometimes it's from, most it's from reading, but then sometimes we haven't covered some for a long time, so we try to pick up and refresh it again to our minds. And so we are in Revelation one more time, number five, the lesson, lesson number five. Let me tell you last week that we talked about Jesus Christ being the king, but he is not the king right now. He's not the king right now ruling this world because he hasn't set his kingdom up yet. Therefore, though he is the king of all kings, he's not the king on earth now. So um, he hasn't come. Therefore, he's not the king yet on the earth ruling everything. And if he was ruling over everything now, he's not doing a very good job because there's too much corruption, too much evil going around in government. All kinds of governments, not just in America, but all over the world. And so that is just one practical way of thinking about Jesus Christ. He's the king, but he's not king now. But he will be one day. Amen. One day he will be. Amen. Now today, tonight, is Revelation chapter 1, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, I hope. Revelation chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse number 5. I'd like you to look at your Bibles, chapter 1, and verse number 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, we talked about that last week, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Now tonight is this part of the verse. Unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I'd like to cover these verses tonight, but first of all, in verse number five, uh, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, he loved us. This is a topic very commonly taught in churches throughout the year, and we're encouraged to love one another. But he says, unto him that loved us. Now, when he says, John writes, loved us, the us are the saved. The us are the saved. He loved us. He loved the saved. But is there someone else that he loves besides the saved? Let's look at three or four verses, three verses about how the Lord loves us, first of all. And so, if you can be diligent to listen and remember everything I say, you are a genius if you can. So write things down if you tend to remember or forget things. Revelation 1, 5 tells us, unto him that loved us. Now, let me read the verse to you. John 13, 1. This is in the upper room when he's having his last supper with his disciples. John 13, 14, 15 is in the upper room. And he will soon leave them. In fact, that very same evening, he will be betrayed. But in chapter 13 of John, it says, verse number one, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, the hour was coming is a saying to mean it was time for him to be to be taken and then to be crucified. His hour has come. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having, notice the words, having loved his own, which were in the world, and he loved them unto the end. Look at verse 34 of chapter 13. Verse 34. 
a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So what we learned so far from Revelation 1 5, unto him that loved us, we know for sure that Jesus Christ loved his own. Twice in that chapter, he says he loved his own. Now, stay in John chapter 15 this time. John 15. And verse number 9. So far, I'm giving you verses to reinforce Revelation 1 5, unto him, unto him that loved us. John 15, verse number 9 says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And so the verse clearly says that Jesus loves those who are his. That's very clear. But let me ask you this question. Does he love other people besides his own? Well, here's a good verse to think about. This one is John. 3.16 Now, do you remember what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He so loved the world. That is to say He loves everyone who is not saved. He loves people who are not saved. Now, He loves the world and loved the world before He came to this world. So, Jesus, when it says unto him that loved us, he loved those who are saved, and he loved the lost. He loves the lost. He cares for the lost before the lost cared for him, before the saved cared for him. He loved us. Now, try to try to see the the big the bigness, the the significance of he loved us. Loved us before we loved him. Loved us before we knew him. Loved us before we looked for him. Loved us before. Even when we didn't really love, love him before we hated when we hated him still. And so that's pretty important to know. And so Romans 5.8 tells us this. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So before we were saved, he loved us. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, it's not good to say God loves you or Jesus loves you. Why? Because that's true. Over in Kanye, there's a sign put up in a yard on Cam Highway. It says, vote for Jesus, he loves you. Vote for Jesus, he loves you. Well, I appreciate that someone is taking advantage of the season to emphasize that and point to another person who is not just another person, but Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you, that's true. And he loved all of us before we even knew who he was. That's pretty amazing if you think about that. So John writes, unto him that loved us, unto him that loved God who loves us before we knew him. Now here's another verse in 1 John chapter 4. If you back up a page or two to 1 John chapter 4, this verse tells us that God loved us before, before we went to church, before we talked to somebody, before a Christian talked to us. 1 John 4, 19. It's a short verse, but it's a really, really important verse. 1 John 4, 19. We, we, he's talking to saved people, John is. We love him. Why? Look at verse number 19. Tell us why, John. John, John tell us why we, we love him. John, John the apostle, why do we love him? John answers his own question. Well, my way of explaining it. We love him because, because, it says, because he he first loved us, which is, yeah, but uh, 
what's so good about me that God would love me? What have I done that's worthy of His love? Well, nothing, but He loved us anyway. So when it comes to salvation, when Revelation 1, 5 talks about Him that loved us, we're talking about a God who loved us before, before we even knew Him, before we even wanted Him. He still loved us. He took care of us, kept us safe, kept us alive. You know that because God loved us, because He loved us, it all means, while we were lost, that means He protected us. He protected us from dying. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a close call or if you know someone had a close call. You know what a close call is. It's like, whoa. Have you ever, have you ever seen some of these video clips where it's a near-death, where a guy's walking on the sidewalk and a car loses control and this big truck just skids on the sidewalk and this guy steps like that and misses him by literally one inch. And he just... And you're, there's no sound because, you know, the um, closed circuit camera just records it. And then this guy just turns and this, this guy's walk across the intersection and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I mean, near death. Now, what, what is keeping that kind of a person from getting crushed by this speeding car through an intersection? People say, oh, good luck. I don't think good luck has anything to do with it. Some people say, oh, because really, if you think about it from the Bible viewpoint, God uh, keeps us alive so that we can one day turn to Him. So because He loves us, He wants us to be, to be saved so we can be saved. I haven't had any near-death experiences in my life growing up. I did have some scares. I did have some pretty big-time scares when I was a boy. I was walking in Conway Bay somewhere, um, not very far in Conway Bay, but... Just small kid. I don't even know how old it was. I was walking with a friend late afternoon about 4 o'clock, 4.30. And uh, the water was kind of clear. I could see maybe two or three feet down into the water. We're walking along uh, the fish pond. And we're stepping on rocks and so on. Just fooling around. Not even. And then I stepped on something. I thought it was a rock. It was a lot of rock. I stepped on this rock, I thought. And the rock moved. And I kind of like slipped like that. I didn't fall into the water too much. But it was a huge crab. Then I stepped on it, things did that. I said, whoa, that was spooky, even chicken skin. That was a weird sensation. That's as close as I got to any kind of scary or um, death, death kind of thing. Um, I played football one time, preseason, at Castle High School, and uh, I fielded a punt. You, you know what a punt is, right? They punt the ball, and you're going over here. And I was a kid, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I could run, so they put me on the team. <laughs> And so I'm catching the ball, I caught the ball, I run here, I got I got crushed. Now imagine this. I got tackled, they're coming this way at me, and I'm going that way. I'm supposed to get blocking from my teammates. Nobody is blocking me. I caught the ball, I'm looking for blockers, they're all behind me. They're not supposed to be behind me. They're supposed to be in front of me. And so I caught the ball and I got attacked by these players from IL. And they hit me here and I fell, I fell like this. My spikes got caught in the grass and my knees went forward. My body went backward, and they piled on me, and my legs over here was like that. I was on the ground, and I couldn't move, and I was screaming, get off of me, get off of me, get off of me. Did they get off of me? No. They just was slapping each other like, where to go, where to go, where to kill this guy. That's supposed to got dying. That was an awful experience. I don't know why I continued playing, but um, my mother was a friend of my kid. 
broken neck playing football, then she would lose this free employer employee. But uh, so, but God keeps us alive, keeps us safe, so that we can get a chance to hear the gospel and, and trust His Son. That is the truth. You learn a lot from reading and listening and watching things. A lot of people almost died in the ocean, on the lake, on a train, in a car, in an accident. I mean, it's amazing how people survive these things. And they're, they're so, oh, it's a miracle. Maybe it was. God kept them alive so that they could be saved one day. Because God loves people. He wanted them to be saved. We love him because he first loved us. Kids sometimes play a little game when they say to their mom, I love you. And mom says, love you more. And the kid says, love you more. Mom says, I love you more than you love me. I love you. And it goes back and forth. You know how that goes. You know, the truth is this. There's someone who loves us more than we ever realized. And that's God who loved us before we got saved. And then after we're saved, he still loves us. Uh, I heard a man who's now in heaven uh, from Florida. He was saying to some young men who he was training to preach. He said, when you folks go to your church to preach, wherever you preach, he says, be careful how you treat people. He says, don't get so hard on them. He says, I get hard on people because I have been, I have been um, attacked so much in my life for different reasons. He says, that's why I kind of come, come across as being very mean and harsh. He says, but when somebody does something bad against you, he says, you got to treat them with mercy. And they're shocked at what he's teaching them because he's not so merciful himself. He says, treat them with mercy. And he says, do you know why? He answers his own question because that's how God treats me, with mercy. And so that all ties into the fact that God loves us more than we can realize, and he loved us first. Now, I want you to see also this uh, other truth. I want you to come down to uh, 1 John 3, 16. We looked at John, we mentioned John 3, 16, but look at 1 John chapter 3, going back to Revelation. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16. There's a John 3.16 and a 1st John that's back toward Revelation. Here's a good verse. The verse answers the question, how do we know that God loves us? How do we know that God loves us? 1st John 3.16 says, hereby we perceive, we perceive. What would be a good word to substitute for perceive? Hereby we perceive. Now, if sometimes you read a Bible word, you don't know what it means, you can type in the word perceive in your, uh, on your browser and, and you get some definitions of perceive. It'll be close to what the Bible is trying to say. Perceive, hereby perceive we. Here's how we know. Here's how I can tell. Here's how, ah, I think this is what's going on. Hereby perceive we, the love of God. Here's how we know that God loves us. Here's what he says in verse number 16. Because, because, here's how we know he loves us. Because he laid down his life for us. That's how John says we know that God loves us. John wrote Revelation 1.5. He loved us. He loved us. How do we know he loved us? He says in 1 John 3.16, because he laid down his life for us. So he sacrificed his life. That's to prove that when he says, I love you, He's saying, look, here's the proof that I love you. When, when someone says something, it seems unbelievable, but he carries it out, you say, oh, he really meant that. 
and Jesus did mean what he said, and he says that I gave my life for you as proof that I do indeed love you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. We sometimes let that statement, he died for us, gave his life for us, kind of almost pass right over because we're so accustomed to it. But if someone died for you, let's, let's not get, let's get less severe, not death, but someone sacrificed for you. If someone sacrificed for you, let's try to understand he gave his life for us. If someone sacrificed something for you that cost them a lot of money, and it's something that you wanted, but you thought it was out of reach, but somebody gave you the money or bought it for you, something you really wanted for months, maybe a year or two, and you thought, there's no way I'm gonna get this, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes up to you with a certified check through the mail, and it's made up to you, and it's for more than enough for what you hope to have gotten for your for your house or you know something that you really needed, and now it's yours because someone sacrificed to give that to you. That'll impress you. That'll impress you. That'll make you feel kind of good that someone cares enough for you to do that for you. Well, here is what the Bible says: He He laid down His life for us. He laid down His life. He gave His life. For, he sacrificed His life for us because He does love us, and so that is something really. Uh, impressive, something we should never forget. And in Revelation 1, in verse number 5, he says, Unto him that loved us, unto him that loved us. We're back to Revelation 1 5. Unto him that loved us. And those are some verses around this, he loved us, truth, to support it even more so. I want you to know that uh, there are some, there are some. Bible verses that have left out words and then there are some Bible translations that have put words in that wasn't there in the Greek language or the Hebrew language but you don't know that they put it in there but I want you to know that the Bible that we believe in the King James Bible is truthful because it tells you what they put in an italicized word and so I want you to see I want you to go back to 1 John 3, verse number 16. I want you to notice this. This is really good for you to know. 1 John 3. Before we go back to Revelation 1, 5, I, I need to try to teach something about how the Bible translators of King James were honest. Now, come to 1 John 3, 16. 3, 16. Now, you look at 1 John 3, 16 by yourself. 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. That's what it says, yes? Now, what is in cursive? What is in cursive? Hereby perceive we the love of God. What is in cursive? Of God. Of God. That's in cursive. Of God. Look at verse number 17. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, you have the word, the words of compassion in italics, okay? Now, let's read it without the italics words, italicized words. So go back to verse 16. Go back to verse 16. 
and let's not say the words in italics which is of God. So it reads like this, hereby perceive we the love because he laid down his life for us. That's how it is without the italicized words. You have the italicized words in there to make the sentence complete. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. So that makes sense now. Now watch verse 17. We read it without the words of compassion. But whoso hath this world's goods, good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now does that make any sense? I don't want that kind of a love. Keep your bowels to yourself. What a graphic picture. Not too, not too nice. So the King James translator, 52 of them were honest to put in words that needed to be to complete the sentence from the Greek language to the English language. And you know that they put it in because it's in italics. That's when you read your Bible, you know, oh, this is what they put in. And it makes the sentence complete. Other Bibles, they don't make it italicized. So you don't know which word is the Bible or which word they put in as translators. All translations, all translating committees put in words to make it a complete sentence in their language. There's no exception. The difference is the King James translators, 52 of them, were honest to put it in, parent, uh, in italics so that you know as a reader that this is their word to put in. It makes a big difference. Yeah. So this is honest, we would say a very honest translation. All right? So that is a, a humorous way of saying, you see how it makes sense that these words are there. Without it, it doesn't make any sense. Now back to Revelation 1.5. Revelation 1.5. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now the issue here in verse number five, besides the love of God for us is, okay, he proved his love for us by, by laying down his life, but now he says he washed us from our sins. So sin is the problem now. Sin was the problem, sin is the problem. Sinners sin. Is that true? Sinners sin. Yes. And because of sin, we'll be penalized. We can't escape that penalty. We sin accidentally. We sin deliberately. Whatever the reasons for us sinning, we sin because we are, in our nature, sinners. A lion, a leopard, a cougar, a mountain lion. They'll behave in a certain way toward animals because it's in their nature to behave in a certain way. Um, alligators, crocs, dolphins, porpoise, Tiger sharks, killer whales, they all act in a certain way because there's a certain nature about them. They will behave what is instinct to them. I thought a tiger shark, a great white, was the most awesome creature to avoid in the ocean. It's not them. You know who swallows them up like this? Killer whales. They hunt in packs. You ever watch videos about how they hunt in packs? They're smart. There's a seal on the ice, on a piece of ice. He feels kind of safe. And then a killer whale comes underneath it and he flips like that. It makes the, the, the thing rock and he falls off the ice. That's smart. And then you have them hunting in a pack. And, you know, it, it's like they have an instinct. They can't avoid it. A dog has an instinct. A cat has an instinct. A cat is evil. A dog can be trained to be smart. But they all have instincts that they go by. And we have instincts in us called the old nature, and we sin naturally. We try hard not to sin, but it comes so easy for us to sin. You promise God today, okay, I'm gonna stop 
But then tomorrow you're tempted, we tend to want to give in to that. It comes easy for us. That's because we are sinful in our nature. Sin, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so uh, I want you to notice that he washed us from, from. The word from gets our attention, from. And we're going to learn that this leads, leads to. He washed us from our sins. He washed us from the penalty of our sins. He washed us from the, the death that comes because of sin. From to something from death to life. The word from reminds me of John chapter 11 about Lazarus who had died. And Jesus came and said, Lazarus come forth. And he rose up. So he rose up from the dead, from the dead back to life. And so he says in uh, Revelation 1, 5, uh, from, from, from. He washed us from our sins, which is a really life-changing, eternity-changing fact that happened. Now turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 12. The word from comes up again. Revelation 1 5, and washed us from our sins. Colossians 1 12 through 14 will talk about from again. And there's a good connection here to Revelation 1 5. Colossians 1 and verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, who hath Delivered us, the next word is from, delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you see, when he washed us from our sins, it was from the death, the destruction, the penalty of sin to something. We went from here to there because of his washing us clean by his blood. Now look at verse number 14, uh, 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He took us from one place, death, hell, to another place. Forget this salvation heaven because he made us clean. So I was dead in trespasses and sins, but God took me from that condition. I came from there. Now I am going here. I used to be stuck in here. Now I'm not stuck in here. I'm going to go here instead because I have been washed clean. That's pretty important. And so when it says wash us from our sins, in now the next word is his. His. His own blood. Now, when he says he washed us from our sins, from his, by his own blood, this is, the, this is the emphasis. It's his blood that washed us clean. Which is to say, it's not by our shed blood that we are washed from our own sins. No man could ever sacrifice and let blood out of his body like they do in the Philippines to atone for their sins. They can't do that because your sin, your blood is, is tainted. It is sinful blood. His blood was not. And so his own shed blood could not wash away sins. Uh, Hebrews 10 says the blood of bulls and goats could never take away our sins. And so there's only one kind of blood that can wash away sinners' sins. 
guess what kind of blood is required? And guess what kind of blood is needed to wash away sins? And guess whose blood it was that was qualified to wash away our sins? Turn to 1 John one more time. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. Revelation 1 5 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. John, 1 John 1 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now I'll stop there and just say that that verse is true. When you are in fellowship with God and you're in fellowship with other Christians, it kind of goes together. If, you, if your heart wants to follow God, then you want to be around Christians who want to follow God as well. And that's how it all works out. Now he says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, does something. Cleanseth us from all sin. From all sin. Now, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. There's two books of Peter. 1 Peter, 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We just saw from 1 John 1, 7, His blood cleanses us from all sins. And now 1 Peter 1, 18 says this about the blood of Christ. Look at verse number 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. You're not saved. You're not cleansed by corruptible things. And then it gives you an example. As silver and gold, money cannot purchase our salvation. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, how many people have a tradition believing that their tradition, if they follow their tradition, one day God let them into heaven? And it's all in vain. And so Peter, the Apostle Peter says this. Now who is the Apostle Peter? The Apostle Peter was one of the 12 original disciples. Peter had a big mouth. Peter was very brave. He was impetuous. He was impulsive. And God used him to preach for him. But Peter is supposed to be the first Catholic Pope. But Peter was not the first Catholic Pope. Now the Pope is supposed to be without a wife. He's supposed to be single, celibate. You know Peter had a wife. Peter had a wife. And so he was not the first Roman Catholic Pope. Sorry. Uh, most Catholics believe that he was. You go to Rome... You go to the Vatican, the statue of St. Peter. You know his big toe is almost worn down because people kiss it. They go over there and they they, they, they venerate the statue. They, they kiss it as if this means something spiritual. It, it does not mean anything spiritual. This is all tradition. Now, Peter says this in verse number 19. But we are redeemed like this with the precious blood of Christ. John says, blood of Christ. Peter adds to it, it's precious blood. It's precious blood. It's not just blood, it's precious blood. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. No wonder Peter calls it precious when it comes to the shed blood of Christ. Um, because it is. It's the, it's the agent that washes away people's sins. Nothing can wash it away but the blood of Christ. Yes. Now, have you ever... Have you ever seen commercials where this kind of soap, palm olive, grease cutting palm olive soap or something, and you get this kind of soap, it'll clean the goose that's covered with 
WD-40 or oil or something like that. It'll keep up all the grease. And uh, it's a big promo. It's a big advertising campaign with this certain promo. I got that from Costco because I believe it's, it's a good grease cutter. <laughs> but, uh, and it does work, I think. I think. But um, it's supposed to cut off all the grease. You know what the blood of Christ did? It cut off all the, all the sin. It cut off all the It just did this. It just cut off all the sin. If you can just imagine that sin, this is the blood of Christ. Look at that. Because it's better than palmolive, see? The idea is that it'll cut right through. And that is what was required. Now, look at Revelation chapter 1, verse number 6. We are making progress. Chapter 1, verse number 6. In verse number 5, he did, for, did this for us. He loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse number 6. And hath made us, he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So there's two parts to this verse. The first part is he, God, has made us, the believer, the ones whose blood bought, kings and priests unto God. Now we are, we are, but we're not, but we are. We are a king. I am a king, and you're, I guess, a queen if you're a woman. Well, no, he says kings and kings and priests. And so we are that, kings and priests. Now, I want you to see Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And then after that, Revelation 20. Revelation 5 and Revelation 20. God says we are kings and we are priests unto God and his Father. Revelation 5 9 says this. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us, hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Verse 10 made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. So because we've been saved, a lot of things happen. One of the things that happened is he made us a king. He made us a priest. Now let's read some more and then I'll try to explain. The us are those who have washed clean by the blood of Christ. We are kings and priests. Now today, after we got saved, right now we are a spiritual priest. Now we don't have a title. We don't have an office, priest. But we are a priest. What does a priest do? A priest is able to go uh, to God himself directly. Sometimes he will pray for someone else. So he would intercede for someone to God. We are a spiritual priest. Peter calls us a royal priesthood. But we have no office. We have no collar that's backwards. We wear no black robes. We don't need that to be a priest. God says we are a priest. Which means we can pray to God directly ourselves. Without having to go to a man in a booth to confess our sins. We can pray to God ourselves wherever we are. Just think, wherever you are, you can pray to God because you're a priest. Wherever you are, at a park, on a street, in a car, at work, at home, when you're feeling good, you're not feeling good, you got trouble coming, troubles come to you, you're stuck, you hope you don't get stuck, you are a priest. You can pray to God right then. You don't need someone to go to to pray for you. He says we're kings and priests. Now, we are priests now. We're not a king yet. Let's think this through. We are priests now. 
We're not a king yet. In prospect, we're a king in the future. We shall, saw, we shall see that. We don't reign now, but we will when Jesus Christ reigns. Now come to Luke chapter, no, just listen to this part. I want you to come to Luke 20 in just a minute, but listen to this part. In Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, Jesus Christ was tempted by somebody. He was tempted by somebody. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't draw his, but um, he was tempted by someone, by the devil. The devil offered him some things. One of the things he offered Jesus was the kingdoms of this world. He'd offer him every kingdom that was existing in Jesus' time. Why did he offer him the kingdoms of the world? Because he's the God of this world. And he could offer him the kingdoms. Either that, he was lying to him. But Jesus Christ says, no. And he gave him scripture to um, fight back against the devil's temptations. And that's what you do too when you're tempted, you give him scripture. And so, because that is true, Jesus Christ did not start reigning on earth when he was here. The temptation came just before he began his public ministry for three and a half years. So at the beginning, the devil tempted him. Hey, you know, you bowed unto me. Hey, hey bro, you bowed unto me. Hey, bro, you bowed unto me. I'll give you all these things. The Lord says, no, 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 no. And he quoted scripture. So Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, was not the king of the earth. Though the devil offered him the kingdoms. But watch what happens in Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Watch what happens. We come way back to the last chapters of Revelation, which would be toward the end of a lot of things in this world. The tribulation is going to end. Jesus Christ has returned to this world. And in Revelation 20, look at verse number 4. And I, John, saw thrones, and they sat upon them. Somebody is sitting on thrones. What is a throne for? It's for a king. So he sees thrones, more than one, and he sees someone sitting on those thrones. Multiple thrones, multiple kings. And judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. When do you think these people stood strong against something, against someone at a certain time, in which they said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny Christ. If you're gonna execute me, ex I'm not gonna deny Christ. These are the ones who were executed at a certain time and they were beheaded. Now they are rewarded for their standing for Jesus Christ. Certain time, certain place, certain people. You know who these people are? Let's keep reading. I saw the souls of them, verse 4, that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast. Ah, big clue there. These men who were martyred, they gave their necks. They voluntarily said, kill me. I'm not going to deny Jesus Christ. They had not worshipped the beast, neither his image. Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or on their hands. Who are these people? What time period are they living in? They are the people who are living in the tribulation. They missed the rapture. In the tribulation, they have believed on Christ. 
They've been washed clean by his blood. And now they have been apprehended. And now they're pressured to deny Jesus Christ. They said, no. They said, okay, over here. Public executions. You remember when some of these um, terrorists filmed people with bags over their head and they executed them on camera? That's pretty, pretty, pretty awful. Some of them used swords. And they had it broadcast back here to get America to back down and give in to them. Over here, you have public executions. The people did not deny their Lord in the tribulation. And now these are the very same ones that are reigning on thrones. And it says in verse number four at the end, and they, and they, oh, they did not take the mark of the beast. They did not take the mark. And I watched them. And they, in the verse 4, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests ah, of God and of Christ and shall reign with them a thousand years. So the scene is this. Jesus Christ has returned to end the tribulation. Uh, let me put it here. This is the beginning of the tribulation. This is the end of the tribulation, seven years. From here to here, people will be forced to get the mark of the beast. Now, the Christian has been raptured before this all takes place, so we're gone. But those left behind go through the tribulation, and they're pressured to take the mark of the beast. Some of them who are living here, they have put their trust in Christ. The blood of Christ has washed away their sins. Now they're saved in the tribulation. They're pressured to get the mark of the beast to buy food, to sell, and to earn income. They're denied that unless they take the mark. They say, we're not taking the mark. And so they say, okay, off with you, and they, they die here. When Jesus comes back, they are resurrected, and they are able to reign on these thrones with Jesus Christ in the thousand year kingdom. So kings and priests, they will reign on thrones. So... Uh, one day the blood-washed saints comes down with them. They also reign on thrones. So tribulation saints and Christians who come down with Christ reign together with them on thrones. When we get to Revelation 19 and 20, we'll talk more detail about these that are reigning on the thrones. But for now, uh, we are kings, but not yet. We're not reigning yet. We're not reigning yet. We're, we're, we're not over here. We're not over here. We're not over here yet. We're somewhere over here. And so... But we're priests in the meantime. Okay? Now, Revelation 1 says, we'll try to finish here. And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 6. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It says, Now, the Bible says in Isaiah 48, God will not share his glory with another. Of course, because as we look at Revelation, as it unfolds, we see that God is great, He is merciful, He is righteous. He deserves to be the ruler of the whole world, and one day he will, and he deserves, he deserves to be glorified, and he will be. Only he deserves the type of glory that he has earned, if I put it like that. Yeah. Now, 1-7 says this. Uh, I won't say much because we already covered this before. He cometh with clouds. I want you to notice, though, every eye, every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So Jesus Christ will come down. I'll just put it like this. He'll come down.
I'll just make him come like this. I know he's coming down on the white horse, but he'll come down. He'll come down from the sky to earth. And when he comes down, the Bible says every eye. shall see him. So, every eye shall see him when he comes down. Now at the rapture, nobody sees him coming down. But the second coming, every eye shall see him. Every eye is who? Every eye that's living on the earth. All those who are in the tribulation. Every eye shall see him. Around the world shall see him. We'll talk more details about that in Revelation chapter 20. Every eye shall see him, which means it's a visible return. Um, you, you don't see a ghost coming down. You don't see a spirit coming down, but you see something coming down that's tangible. And when he comes down, then of course, there'll be chaos. Look at what happens when he comes down. Those who see him, they're not happy to see him. Verse 7, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Who are those people that pierced him? Who are those that crucified Jesus? What people? What nation? It wasn't the Chinese. It was the Japanese. Who was it? It was his own. The Israelites, the Jewish nation. When they see him coming down to Jerusalem, it says, and others, all kindreds of the earth, shall wail because of him. So they see him coming down, they're, 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 they don't want to see him come down. They're afraid of him. They're terrified of him. They're awestruck. They're horrified to see him. They're, they're screaming and crying. No, 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 no. Oh, it's true. No, no, go back. No, and they can't stop him from coming down. Now look at Psalm 68 and we're done for tonight. Psalm 68. This prophetic psalm of the Lord coming back, Psalm 68, tells us the reaction of the people on earth. Now, do you know who is not grieved because he's coming back? There's some folks that are not sad that he's coming back. These people are. Other people who are not sad, they're glad, are those who are looking for him to come back to redeem them. All right, look at verse 1, chapter 68 of Psalm, Psalm 68. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. And they will at the second coming. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them sing, let them exceedingly rejoice. Verse 4, sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Jah, and rejoice before him. And so you have here the whole world, those who hate him, don't want him to come, they can't hide, those who wait for him to come to redeem the world and redeem them, they're happy as can be. This Lord Jesus Christ causes all kinds of trouble or brings all kinds of joy. It just depends who you are, depends what you are.
And so next time we'll cover the next few verses, try to finish out this chapter, chapter one. That was lesson number five. It's taken us five weeks to cover a few verses, seven verses, but that's okay. All right. Okay. Pretty graphic, isn't it? It gets, it gets more graphic as we go along. You have taken a peek into what will happen. And when we come to chapter 6, that's when the tribulation begins. This is the place where you may have heard about um, hell on earth, the end of the world, those kind of things. It begins in chapter 6. It is just unbelievably horrible. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the, or the fact that we will not be there on earth to witness firsthand, in person, in the flesh, the things that will take place. Lord, we thank you for our salvation, how your blood has washed away our sins, made us clean, made us whole, made us kings, made us priests, and that we will bypass the tribulation. And we have been afforded all of these great blessings that we could never do on our own. Thank you for your blood that made it possible. Our blood could not atone for our sins, neither could any other animal, or neither could any other person's blood atone for our sins. But your son's blood, we thank you for that. It was, it was appropriated freely, by grace, by faith. And for that, we can never repay you, but may we try by living a life that honors you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.